Good morning, LifeSpring. It's an honor and privilege to share with you this morning. If you're new, I'd like to extend a special welcome to you. And I have two pieces of good news for you if you're new. The first is, if you enjoy my sermon this morning, I teach upstairs normally during this hour. Um, it's the Spectrum Adult Bible, Sh- uh, Bible Fellowship, and it's up in room A3. And we just get into scripture, and we discuss, and we talk about things, and we pray for each other. And it's good time, so I'd love to chat with you up there. And the double good news is, if you don't care for my sermon, Bill will be back next week. And so, uh, so hang on, you know, come back again, check things out. Um, so typically, starting a sermon with an introduction is uh, not necessary, but I figured, hey, know a little bit about the guy who is um, sharing with you this morning. Um, like Bill said, my name is Daniel, and um, I've been married to my wife, Emily, for seven years. We have a three-year-old um, named Eleanor, and she's a firecracker. She, um, she keeps me busy. And a th- another thing about me that is um, maybe a little shameful, you know, some people don't like this, but I like to start Christmas as early as fathomably possible. I'm that person who, like, I get the Christmas music going. I want to put the lights up, like, the day after Halloween. I want to get things going, Right. <laughs> Just get things going. I want the Christmas spirit to last as long as possible. Um, I want to get things rolling. And I, I consider Thanksgiving like halftime show, right? It's like Christmas season's going, Thanksgiving's the halftime show, and we can continue on with things. If there's one thing I can say about Christmas that's a bit of a letdown is it's over so fast, right? It's like you're waiting, you're waiting, you get there, Christmas morning is happening, and all sorts of fun things, and then... The 26th comes around, and you're like, all right, what now? For me, I'm that guy who's like 300-plus days until the next Christmas. Sad times. But that's what our sermon series is about, these next two weeks, living the incarnation. The answer to that question of what now? What do we do? We're looking in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. If you have the Bible in front of you, that's page 860. You can follow along. The sermon goes right along this for the most part. The Gospel of John is unique. He starts his Gospel right away with the lens in which you should engage the rest of the Gospel. He gets right into who Jesus is before his ministry, before anything else. It gets right in there to, to, to figure it out. And what this first section of John is theologically, is this idea of Christology, right? So the theological term is Christology. Simply put, it's the study of Jesus. When we think about Jesus and the study of Jesus, this covers two different broad categories. The first category is the how is Jesus, right? So this contains the doctrinal beliefs of the the Trinity and the Trinitarian nature of Jesus, This concerns the virgin birth of Jesus. This concerns the form of Jesus. All these different disciplines. None of which we're going to go over right now. The second category of broad uh, inquiry when it comes to Christology is the one I consider more important to our day-to-day life at least. You know, our natural human curiosity wants us to explore the first category a bit, which is good, and John gets into that a bit. But really, the, the who is Jesus is the second category. Not just who is Jesus, 
But the question that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer tells us to ask, and I studied Bonhoeffer a lot in seminary, is this idea that who is Jesus for us today? Now, this for us that Bonhoeffer asks us to consider has two different meanings. For us is not only temporally, who is Jesus for us right now, today, but this question also includes for us as an advocate. Who is Jesus for us today, advocating for us? So we're going to look at characteristics of Jesus, the characteristics that are spelled out throughout the Gospel of John. The first is Jesus as the Word. Second, we're going to look at Jesus as the light. And third, we're going to look at Jesus as a human being. All these are connected to the fullness of Jesus as bringing in truth and grace. Those, those themes will go on throughout this. So let's kick off right at the beginning. Jesus as the word of God. Jesus as the word of God is through verses 1 through 3. And what happens here immediately in the Gospel of John is this, he brings us from John immediately back to Genesis in the beginning. In the beginning, Jesus was with God and was God and was the creative energy of God. We think sometimes of Jesus as being with God, but like God the Father really being the one doing things at the beginning. But no, Jesus was the creative energy of God. Through him, all things came. Now, conceiving of Jesus in this way as the word of God who was with God at the beginning and through all things came allows us to better understand and have, have better clarity of who Jesus is. Because if through him all things came, when he claims to be the truth, we can better understand that. Because if he created all things, then he knows about all things and is therefore the truth that we can understand. It means that Jesus, when, when it is said in, in Genesis that God says we will make him in our image, that we is God and Jesus together doing this creative process. It's very important to understand this because this shows us that human understanding and knowledge is finite and where it ends, Jesus exists further. That there is a mystery that we must always understand because if there's a mystery to Jesus, then we're not taking the position of God of knowing everything about Jesus. It's a humbling process because our human nature wants to fully comprehend all things that there is about Jesus. But this gives us the freedom to understand that we can't understand completely. It is a humbling process that we can understand Jesus. The second aspect of Jesus is one that I, again, get from Bonhoeffer scholarship, but this idea of Jesus as a spoken word, as the word, as an address to us today. We think of Jesus as the word, and it is timeless when we think of it as scripture, that scripture is written. There's different interpretations, but basically this is the same. This is, this is scripture that is a timeless truth to us. But a temporal truth to us is Jesus as an address to us. As spoken words, we hear it through sermons, but we also hear it through um, 
any kind of evangelism, any kind of testifying to who Jesus is, Jesus exists in that word to us, in, that, in our temporal moment, for what matters to us in this, at this time. This is an important gift, right? We can relate to words. Words matter. Words change the situation. Imagine things that you've heard in your life where everything changed from that moment. Somebody says, I love you. I remember when I first heard I love you from my wife. That changed everything. Words can also be destructive. How often have you heard a word about you and you've internalized it in a way that it has changed the way that you've thought about yourself? There's so many ways that words just change your reality in a different way. Jesus was that. Jesus speaks to us. We are built to be moved by words, right? Have you ever heard a speech or a part of a movie that, that really like you hear a soliloquy in theater or something else and it rings to you, right? It brings tears at times or you get goosebumps or something. There are so many different ways that Jesus talks to us. This address of, the, of Jesus is an important gift, Words matter. I remember another word that changed my entire situation when my wife told me she's pregnant. <laughs> I'm pregnant is words that changed my reality in an incredible way. We're receptive to words. Words matter. Jesus, as the word matters, is an address to us today. Another aspect of Jesus that is spoken of by John is or at least a part of the understanding that we need to have is Jesus as knowledge, right? The word is knowledge. Like I said, we're never meant to fully grasp him in, in Jesus as the word, but it means that, that where our knowledge ends, God's picks up. But this is not to be mistaken for the concept of God of the gaps, right? Where like, you know, ancient man used to see like thunder or hear something or have an earthquake and they think that that's, that's God, right? Like that's a part of that we can still comprehend. But there's a great humility in understanding that God is knowledge. I'm gonna get to a, a better uh, metaphor of that. But God is knowledge matters. If you think of like anything that you've learned, somebody taught it to you, well, that goes back and that somebody taught it to them and somebody taught it to them. That's Jesus, right? At the beginning, all things came through him Therefore, that is, that is the knowledge of who God is. And even if some things were like innovated through our, through our observation of natural world, Jesus made that world. So again, all knowledge goes back to who Jesus is. And it makes clear the fact that he is the truth. Another aspect of Jesus in verses 4 through 11 is Jesus as the light. Jesus is the light. And immediately, what is the response of humanity to the light? It's rejection. You can't read John 1 without understanding John 3 and John 3 to John 1. And John 3, verses 19 through 20, you can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to read it to you. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This is the same light that John's talking about in John 1. This light contains within it various ideas, but one of them that we think about most is judgment, right? It's the light of judgment, right? It's also the life, but that life is also 
judgment to us, right? It reveals our sins. And so our immediate response is the light's coming with truth, and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't need that right now, right? Our first response is defensiveness. At least that's mine. I mean, I don't speak for you all. But when somebody like points something out that I have come up short, my immediately defense is to justify it in some way, to say that I had a good reason for what's going on here and to, you know, don't judge me, right? We always want to say don't judge me. Pastor Bill has talked about this in other sermons, and it's just so important that we need to point this out over and over again, is that, is that the light of judgment is not there for punishment. There's a punishment aspect to it, maybe, but really what it is, is it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to fully realize within ourselves that we are not perfect, but our imperfections don't define us. What defines us is the grace of God that is given to us through this. We can't receive grace unless we step into the light. Don't hide from the light of judgment. Own your sin, own your responsibility for things, and just step into the light because that's how you get your grace. That is how grace comes to us. It's interesting when we think about this light because this light is something that our immediate instinct is we've stepped into the light. Why aren't you, right? It's to judge other people. Hey, why aren't you going into the light here? right? Hey, there's these problems that you have, buddy. You need to own up to them. That's not what we're called to do. The, the true model for discipleship on how to deal with the light is given to us in, in John as well. That's why you have these little parentheses throughout the, the gospel of John of what John the Baptist did. What did he do? John was like, I am not the light. We are not the light. We reflect the light. We witness to the light. That is, what the, that is what John the Baptist did, and that is our responsibility. Because the second we think of ourselves as the light, we are again taking within ourselves this mantle of God, because we can judge what's light and what's not, right? No, we reflect the light of God, we witness to the light of God, but we can't fully comprehend the full truth, right? So we, we're asked to step into the light, but we're also asked to witness to it and not consider ourselves as people who own it. We can't possess it. It matters. That light matters so much to us because that is how we receive grace. The Gospel of John and and verse 14 has a third characteristic of Jesus, and this one, of course, is my favorite. It's Jesus' humanity. Jesus is human being. It's scandalous, the idea of Jesus as human being. It's not what first century Judea thought of, right? They were ready for a general to lead them out like the Maccabees did and, and to lead them into salvation from, from Rome, right? They wanted a military leader. They wanted somebody who was anything but a baby in a manger, right? That's, that was a letdown to them. Right? They had no idea the full ramifications of who Jesus is. And that's why it's so important that we continually ask ourselves this question of who is Jesus for us today? Jesus is human. Jesus as human is the relatable gift that we needed, we had to have. His existence with us as human being allows us to relate in ways that are powerful. Jesus wept. 
How relatable is that? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Jesus was amazed. Luke 7, 9. I'm amazed all the time, particularly when I encounter scripture, right? Amazed by the person of God through Jesus. Amazed through his amazing patience throughout the Old Testament. In ABF, we're going through Amos right now and just the patience of, Jesus, of, of God throughout that. To understand patience is the nature of God. I'm amazed constantly. One area where it, Jesus is at his most relatable, where I have been there before, and to see God in this way is, is humbling, right? If you go to the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 37, starting, Jesus was sorrowful and troubled in Gethsemane, right? Jesus is sorrowful and troubled by what lies before him, right? Christmas is sometimes a season of sorrow and trouble, right? There's family reconciliations that need to be made or haven't been made, and there's, there's pain involved with, um, with family. That certainly exists in my family to a certain degree. And then if you continue through Matthew in this section of Gethsemane, verse 38 explains Jesus is overwhelmed and how often does that happen in life? I'm overwhelmed way more often than I even admit to, and I admit to several <laughs> being overwhelmed frequently. Life throws you curveballs, right? The way that we react to those curveballs matters, right? And Jesus himself is overwhelmed by what lies before him in Gethsemane. Overwhelmed. To be able to relate to God in that way is invaluable, right? overwhelmed. And what do we do when we're overwhelmed? Sometimes we just suck it up and and we move on. Sometimes we just get overwhelmed and we close ourselves in a room and we weep. And what what was Jesus's response to being overwhelmed? He fell face down and prayed. Oh my God. So powerful. To be able to relate to Jesus in this very intimate way is such a relatable gift. It's a grace, right? To see Jesus in this way, to have taken on our mantle of humanity and existed in this way in which he was very much human and very much divine at the same time. But we can't miss this because the value that this shows us as human beings, the value of our soul, I love that part of O Holy Night, that this idea that, that he appeared and our souls felt worth. We feel worthless sometimes when we're overwhelmed or we're depressed or there's something else going on. But we know that Jesus held this overwhelmed feeling as well. It's incredible. It gives value to us as human beings. It gives value to our souls. And it allows us to to understand that we have a purpose in our life as well. Jesus' overwhelmingness was not just something to happen. There was purpose behind that, right? And we can find that there's purpose even in our suffering. And Jesus is full of grace and truth. He, it is very nature is full of grace and truth. He extends grace and truth. And these are two, aspect, two, two aspects of Jesus that we try to wrap our head, heads around often. And they are in many ways incomprehensible. Grace as undeserved mercy. Undeserved mercy. 
so often it is our reaction to deal with other people with this idea of they made their bed, let them sleep in it, right? They did this horrible thing, therefore they deserve whatever is coming to them. No, grace is much different than that. Grace is dying on a cross while we're still sinners. That always blows my mind. To be amazed by that aspect of who Jesus is, that's grace. And we think about truth. This idea of truth, we so often want to hold on to as this legalistic system in which we have to, have to um, live by, right? And sometimes it's good to have like a code of honor sort of a thing. But this idea of truth being something that we can hold on to is so often leads us to idolatry in a way. Right? Idolatry, not adultery. <laughs> idolatry in a way, right? Because again, truth as we conceive it in its light is something that we have to point to. We cannot fully grasp. The last aspect of Jesus' is humanity is one that we miss frequently, particularly in today's society, is this idea of, of, of Jesus here, right? Jesus is imminent in proximity to us, even still is in close proximity to us. To understand this, even now, when we think about Jesus as existing as the word as an address to us, when we go to church, we experience Jesus, both in, in, in the word that is communicated to us and in the sacraments. Jesus exists here with us. And when I thought about this idea of Jesus being here with us, I can't help but think of my three-year-old, right? Like she is wonderful and she needs to do everything by herself, right? I have five nephews before I even had my daughter. They liked to do things by themselves. My daughter takes this to another extreme. Everything has to be done by herself. Nothing. I can introduce an entirely new concept to her, and she's like, I'm doing it. Don't get, get away from me. I'm just doing this. She has to do everything by herself. And so, like, when we're doing, um, and it doesn't matter how wrong she gets it or anything, she's, she loves stomping around with, the feet, with her shoes on the wrong feet, right, and just everywhere she goes, it, with pride, right? And, um, and so, like, we make pancakes the other day. She's like, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to do this all by myself. So she, like, takes the spoon, and she's, like, vigorously putting together the flour and milk and everything else. She's just like this, but it's, like, barely moving, right? All this, and, like, the head of it's still there. Flour and batter are flying all over the place. She, can't, she, she just has to do it that way, right? Then finally, I intervene, and I, like, put my hand over her hand. And I'm like, you stir big, and then you stir small. Gentle but strong, the way to do this. And, um, and then, like, I thought about it for a second. I was like, wait, what? Like, that's presence, right? I can't Skype my daughter how to stir the, the flower, right? I can't call her on the phone and do this. Sometimes we think of the internet as being something that brings us all together, and maybe it brings together ideas in some way or shape or form. But true community re- requires, like, human presence, Right? You can't show somebody how to stir by grabbing their hand and, and stirring it that way. You can show pictures and stuff, and they still might not gasp the concept until you've actually put your hand there. That's imminent presence. And then when I thought about that for a second, I was like, well, how did I learn this? And it was through the patience and love of my grandfather, right? I would sit on the counter, and my grandfather would show me how to stir pancake batter, right? And then I thought, well, who would have taught my grandfather how to do this? 
And then if you think of this knowledge that is passed down from generation to generation, all leads back to Jesus, who created all things. So therefore, we have a responsibility to impart knowledge on each other, right? This eminence is something that can only be done in the presence of somebody else. And it's, and it's an important thing to conceive because this gives value to humanity. It gives us a purpose to pass down the knowledge and love that we have received. This is another way that we witness to the light. It's through gratitude expressing in proximity love and grace to other people. So let's get down to some more application ideas here. It's, it's good to have concepts and to understand why these things matter in a kind of high level. But to get down to some real application, so what should we do on our day-to-day basis? First, can't explain this enough. We must ask ourselves, who is Jesus for us right now, right, right at this moment? Who is Jesus for us this moment? And when we do this, there's several ways. The first one is to humble ourselves. Um, Inquiry is a wonderful thing. Curiosity is a wonderful thing. And through it, I think that we understand some aspect and a sufficient aspect of who Jesus is. But we must remember that as we get into this, if we, if we fall too much into our own pride and hubris, then we will, we will lose the idea of the mystery of who Jesus is as well. And we have to lean into that. So humbling ourselves to that knowledge And do not confuse it with the God of the gaps because if every single thing you don't understand you attribute to God, then eventually when things continue to explain those things, you'll lose faith, right? This is beyond the God of the gaps. This is an understanding of Jesus' knowledge that is beyond yours. And to continually grasp for it and grasp for it gets to the point of that you're idolatry, that that you've grasped, that you've tried to take upon yourself the, the mantle of God. So humility... That's not a great application there, but just understanding that there's this humility there. And to stand in the light of truth. Don't hide from it. On your day-to-day basis, when, you have, when you're wrong, and this is tough for me, is to admit that you're wrong, right? My wife frequently on Fridays will tell, give me a list of chores to do, and um, I always forget one. Because I say yes to everything, right? I'm like, yeah, I'll, do, I'll vacuum and I'll change your laundry and everything else. And she'll come home and then like the second she opens the door, I'm like, I did not change the laundry. Uh-oh. And I'll explain, oh, I was busy. You know, I forgot it. Sorry, honey, forgot to change the laundry. Might smell like mildew. Right? <laughs> I need a do-over on that one. And tell you, like, thinking about what is Jesus for me right now, all right, I have to admit this stuff, does help with my relationship with my wife. <laughs> it's just understanding that. And again, remembering this idea that we're not called upon to lay rules down for other people, right? Witness to Jesus. When somebody else reads what Jesus did and how he lived his life, it's going to be 10 times better than anything that we go to people and say, hey, you're doing this. You've come up short, right? Jesus telling us, as God, that we've come up short is a lot more uh, um, appealing to people. But you should impart knowledge, right? And knowledge that is given to you through love is impart that knowledge. That's a part of God, right? If we understand God as the word. Now, this is one that hit me hard when I thought about it. 
And um, I don't even remember where this came from. This must have been the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> I, I am terrible at this, is I'm a homebody, right? Like, um, accepting more invitations. When people invite you to something, do it. Don't use an excuse. I'm from San Diego, California. That's where I went to seminary. Bethel Seminary is based in St. Uh, Paul, Minnesota, but they have a San Diego campus. I'm born and raised in San Diego, California, and cold weather is enough to deter me constantly, right? <laughs> I don't want to go anywhere. Like, I just want to sit at home in the heat, snuggled up in my weighted blanket that I just got for Christmas, which I love, and, uh, and just, like, go nowhere. People are like, hey, we still do things in Canandaigua when it's cold, right? I'm like, hmm, nah. That's fine, actually. I'm just going to sit at home. So accepting more of those invitations. When people ask you to do stuff, just do it. My wife and I have had to lean into this recently. People are like, yeah, come over to our house. Like, they realize it's December, right? I thought, okay, all right, I'll go. Extend more invitations. This is something that's harder for my wife than me because my wife needs to be like that, 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 that great host where everything's perfect in the house and before we can invite anybody over, which we have a three-year-old, right? Nothing's ever perfect in our house. Um, and I'm the type of person, like, I don't care. Like, just bring people over. Let's have fun. Let's do things. Create more situations where you, invitations, right? If you go places, you are there with people. You are present with them. If you create situations where people can come, you are there for them. You are there with them. This is one from my own family because my own family is strange and complicated and, and odd. But they, it is be the first move in familial reconciliations. It's hard, man. Our family, like, there is a broken relationship there and nobody's making the first move. I can't judge them for that. But there's hard things that are happening out there. And if you can find it within yourself to do that, it's extremely important. Go to more church events. Read the Sermon on the Mount and take it seriously. This is something I just always impart on people, but people think of the Sermon on the Mount as showing Jesus in some way that we can't achieve. Read it because that is the word of God and take it seriously. And to tell you, like, understanding ourselves as flawed creatures does not excuse a lack of effort. And finally, as we close here, I want you to remember that the question of who is Jesus for us today leads us to an answer all the time of what our purpose is, right? Because Jesus is our model. We're called upon to, be the, to, to take the mind of Christ, to be the body of Christ as the church. And so asking yourselves this, who is Jesus for me today? brings value to your existence and leads to understanding your purpose more. So I'm going to close us today in prayer. And again, we get to experience the presence of God through communion. And uh, we'll take some time at the end of communion to just uh, reflect on who is Jesus for us today. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, just help us to humble ourselves before the word of God, to stand within the light of God, and to be present with people as you were present with us as human being. Allow these things to remind us of our worth as human beings, 
to show worth to our struggles as you struggled, that there was value in it, and to find hope in that, and to ultimately find applications that we can do in our day-to-day lives that will fill us with purpose, that, those, that, we, that we take seriously our relationships as you took seriously your relationship with us. We love you, God, and we just ask that you internalize these truths and that you humble us before your word. In Christ's name, amen.